You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As the Bucks get another win, they move to 12 and 3 on the season with a 137 129 win over the Portland Trailblazers. Giannis created a little bit of history in the process. And before we get rolling with this one, I just wanted to give. A little shout out to a Bucks fan, CJ Robinson at CJ the DJ and MC. He tweeted at uh, us the other day, Frank, and he mentioned he's been a big uh, fan of the podcast for a while now. And him and his family uh, often listen to the pod together. And he mentioned in a tweet that uh, his oldest son was going through some some pretty serious uh, cancer treatment and. The Bucks and the podcast were a nice escape for, for his family to be able to uh, get away from that a little bit. And, you know, cancer is a real bitch. And it's something that, that's touched me, um, you know, close uh, with my family, with my mom over the last two years who uh, is doing well now. But uh, CJ, I just wanted to shout you out. Thank you for listening to the pod. And uh, I, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's Bucks win and you're doing well and your family's doing well. But uh, Frank, onto this game, playing with their food. We've mentioned this a little bit with the Bucks so far this season and it was a little bit of more of the same uh, in the fourth quarter here. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? The Bucks are 12-3. and three. They've won, what, six, six in a row, I think, right now? Um, yeah, six. They've you know only played now five home games, eight and two away, uh, as we talked about the other day. I mean... You know, again, tonight they play a team that was missing, obviously, a critical piece with Damian Lillard, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the better guards you're going to find in the NBA. He's out with back spasms, a um, number of other kind of peripheral pieces out. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins have been out for a while. So a very kind of thin group up front, so much so that Carmelo Anthony uh, is brought back out of uh, mothballs this week um, and playing in his second game tonight. Uh wasn't terrible shooting the ball at least uh i think he still has a i'm carmelo anthony damn it it's 2012 uh sort of vibes around him uh there were some uh there was some jawing with Giannis, which was kind of funny uh in the fourth quarter i think after Giannis blocked him at one point and i don't know some some weird stuff but um those guys have some history dating back to Giannis's rookie season which is kind of funny um but yeah i mean this was a team that I think even on a back-to-back, obviously the Bucks winning last night in Atlanta in a kind of similar play-with-your-food type game. There was probably some outlier shooting from the Hawks that maybe made that game closer than uh, it otherwise might have been. Um, I mean, Cam Reddish, who I was dogging on Twitter the uh, the other <laughs> week, um, you know, and, and DeAndre Hunter went like 14 out of 22 from the field and hit a bunch of threes, which is just like never going to happen again this season. So um, thankfully the basketball gods did not uh, 
punish the Bucks for my uh, my smack talking on Twitter too much. But um, but yeah, that that game felt like it shouldn't have been kind of as close as it was late. Uh, this game uh, gets to one seventeen one fifteen, uh, kind of what was it midway through the fourth quarter? Yeah, and uh, ultimately the Bucks, you know, kind of put the pedal back to the metal. Uh, Portland hit a bunch of threes. Shizia McCollum was just sort of draining everything, kind of a recall of uh, his performance in Portland last year when he cooked. I think Malcolm Brogdon and Dante DiVincenzo got sort of equally uh, cooked, broiled, and stir-fried by by CJ last year <laughs> tonight. Uh, you know, Bledsoe was on him because there was no Dame Lillard, and CJ still went out and, and scored 37 on 29 shots, 5 out of 10 threes, also 10 assists. He was obviously um, great. And, and Portland, I mean, Scal Labissier scored 22 points, and I'm shocked that he actually only hit 10 out of 16. It felt like he had a Daniel Gafford like shooting night tonight. Uh, but, um, but yeah, this was obviously you look at the numbers This was not a, a great defensive performance in the box. Obviously in terms of just the bottom line, a one twenty nine offensive rating, one twenty one defensive rating, not great for the, you know, a top five defense. Um, but ultimately uh, Eric Bledsoe, you know, for the second straight night, didn't, didn't take until the fourth quarter tonight to get going. <laughs> uh, Giannis missed just an absolute ton of shots, but, uh, his playmaking was superb tonight with 15 assists and Bledsoe made buckets and a lot of guys uh, seemed to just hit threes. Uh, and it kind of, I don't know, it feels like for, a, a, you know, we've seen lots and lots of games this year where it's just like, especially when Giannis is trying to make plays, like there's just a lot of kickouts that just don't pay off. And tonight it felt like a lot of those were paying off. Uh, and Dante DiVincenzo was very active with 16 points, didn't necessarily shoot that well and missed a dunk, but, Giannis also missed a dunk, so you know, call it a back-to-back, call it coming back from a road trip, whatever it might be. Um, not the not the cleanest game, let's say, for the Bucks. But uh, you know, again, I think anytime you can take care of business against uh, you know a team on a back-to-back, you know, you'll live with it. And I think certainly, uh, you know, I think Giannis going nine out of twenty-seven from the field certainly uh, left a lot of points on the table. I mean, he felt like he could have four, could have forty tonight if he's just sort of maybe more like his normal self, but um, either way it's a win and the Bucks just sort of continue to chug along. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, we, we always talk about this, Frank, that we, we get to about 40 minutes into the pod and we're like, all right, yeah, let's talk about Giannis, what he did tonight. But uh, you mentioned the shooting struggles and nine for 27 from the field. He was also one for seven from three and just five for 10 from the free throw line. So clearly a, a abnormally, inefficient night for him shooting the ball uh not so much free throws but you, you get what i'm saying here but 24 yeah, that points was, that's unfortunately normal five out of ten is unfortunately <laughs> becoming normal for him yeah i wanted to just bundle that in there but then i was like you know yeah. i don't know if i feel comfortable doing that but he he still finished with 24 points uh 19 rebounds 15 uh, assists as well these you spoke about the playmaking the first ever 20 point 15 rebound 15 assist game in bucks franchise history and i, I think i read it was just the 38th in nba history so uh, uh, you know even though he wasn't a he's efficient self it's still just a monster night for Giannis. and uh it was interesting you mentioned when the blazers closed to 115 117 and i tweeted at that point i was like you know, I think Giannis needs to get out of assist hunting mode here because he, he that's what he was doing. He was bringing the ball up the court and dropping the ball off to three-point shooters, you know, almost every single possession. I was like, okay, if, if the Bucks keep missing threes here, this is going to get really interesting uh, down the stretch. After that uh, timeout, Brooke Lopez hits a three on a Giannis assist. Wes Matthews hits a three on a Giannis assist. Then Giannis hits a mid-range. Bledsoe gets a layup. There's a Giannis dunk. 
uh, on Tolliver just after a foul that he thought he got raked on from Tolliver and then he sort of dunked on him and and gave the mean mug and then he assisted a DiVincenzo layup and then the Bucks were up 131-119 and that was really the game. So a pretty important stretch there for him. But he's passing, man. Like I, I think that... And probably more from the outside. I think for people, when they look at Giannis, they look at how his points keep going up and everyone wants to talk about his shooting and he's starting to hit three-pointers now and his defense and his blocks. And I think his passing just gets overlooked. And you mentioned before we started recording, some of those passes to cutting players, particularly early in this game when the Bucks got off to that really, really quick start, his passing was on point. And I think it really set the tone. And this is something that he just continues to get better at, at finding... Uh, the guy in, in, you know, from full cross court passes, the guys in the corners, he just knows where people are going to be. And I think that that uh, his passing has been helped by the system a lot and knowing where guys are. You've mentioned before in the past, sometimes he just sort of throws a ball to a spot rather than looking uh, at a particular Bucks player. But man, he just keeps improving in this area. I don't know where he would sit in terms of the top passes in, in the league right now, but uh, he's, this, is, this is still somehow an underrated part of his game, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I thought last year was kind of all about Giannis um, building that comfort level, being able to always find guys uh, mm-hmm. in the corners and that sort of spread spread offense. And I think this year what has kind of jumped out to me a bit more has been um, his ability to, to find cutters with, you know, bounce passes, operating from the high post, uh, guys trying to slip behind the defense. You know, I think guys like Connaughton and DiVincenzo um, you know, definitely bring something in that regard. They're both really heady cutters and, and movers off the ball. Um, and yeah, it was kind of funny, you know, him seeing him kind of at the elbow or, you know, kind of straight away and, and uh, you know, being able to kind of throw the ball. He, he hit Bledsoe a couple times as well. Yeah. Bledsoe kind of curling around Giannis and then uh, Giannis just throwing like, you know, just a, a little pass over the top, a little back shoulder, you know, whatever. Uh, kind of like those passes that that Jokic is just so phenomenal at, and so it was, it was kind of fun to watch because finally we saw guys actually paying off his kickouts for threes, you know, which again feels like um, a lot of those get missed or have been missed this year. Um, but he got some of those to pay off, you know, Brooke Lopez, Connaughton, uh, Wes Matthews, like those guys paid off some some decent looks again not necessarily wide open looks, but some decent looks that Giannis created for them. And then, uh, you know, just some of the, the interior passing I thought was, uh, was really impressive. And um, you know, I mean, he had 16 assists in the last four games. I mean, his assists have tailed off pretty significantly since that, that start where he has, you know, the 11 assists on opening night and nine on the, in the second game. And um, you know, he's sort of been trending downward since then. So it's been fun because he still, I think, has been making some of those like really nice passes, bounce passes behind the defense, some of that. Um, but I feel it, it's felt like the kind of kick out for three stuff has has dropped off. And especially with Chris Middleton out, you know, it just feels like you know, Giannis is having to just go and like get buckets himself more. He's having to shoot more than, you know, he might otherwise have to both him and Bledsoe, which, you know, makes sense when you're missing a guy who gives you 19 points a game and obviously he's just sort of the nominal second option. So, um, yeah, really impressive passing night. And obviously it was very important because it was a night where he just never seemed to get comfortable um, attacking. I mean, his finishing was poor. He had a, an early three and then missed his last six threes. He was, I think, two of nine in the fourth quarter. Just, uh, just uh, you know, got hacked, I think, uh, on a number of plays without calls. The so same old, same old there. Um, but, uh, you know, still had just a number of kind of 
incredible open court, you know, driving that dunk, lefty dunk on Tolliver was sort of the a cathartic moment. It felt like in the fourth quarter, you know, it felt like, okay, now he's going to do that a couple more times, but just didn't happen uh, and missed a number of shots down the stretches. Portland kind of hung around and, and kept it, you know, closer than, than probably you would like, even, even after the Bucks kind of got that separation. I think after that run, uh, it didn't really feel like the game was in doubt, but, you know, Portland kind of clawed back to, to within eight. And then I think within six with like 45 seconds to go or so. So, yeah, just, um, again, I think there's, that's the incredible thing, right? Is, is, um, you know, this night it was more about, I think his, his finishing around the basket, which has been just insanely good, uh, all season long. Um, again, every once in a while, you know, you're not going to, I think he was shooting over 80% uh, <laughs> at the rim coming into this game. So, yeah, you know, uh, that that's not going to probably happen over the course of a full season. Uh, you know, he's, he's usually probably going to be low to mid-70s uh, over time. But, um, you know, the, the jump shooting also kind of went downhill tonight and, and obviously hope that kind of comes back. Uh, so so there's that. And the other thing I would add on the, on the free throw shooting, I mean, he misses his first four free throws tonight. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, someone was – a couple folks tweeted at me asking if he should, you know, try to – to learn how to shoot underhanded. I mean, <laughs> I, saw that. I mean, look, first off, if you're a career, I mean, he's a career 74% free throw shooter. Like I don't think the first guy, you know, in, in like league history since Rick Barry or whatever to, you know, well, well, and Rick Barry just always shot underhand free throws, but you know, nobody has been like a real NBA player and been a bad regular free throw shooter and then switched to underhand and then like become like a good free throw shooter. Like, you know, the idea that because Rick Barry, shot 90% that Giannis is going to shoot 80% shooting on her hand. I mean, look guys, Rick Barry would have shot 85%, 90% shooting anyway. <laughs> it's like, you know, Giannis, this is a mental thing. Okay. Like I, I, I mean, I think there's some things mechanically that he can probably, I'm sure clean up, but I think for the most part, this is consistency. This is like between his ears and you know, okay. He's not going to shoot underhand mid-season. I don't think he's ever going to do that next summer or whatever. We know he can make free throws at a good enough clip in this league. He's done it, you know, throughout his career up until now. And so I think it's just finding some sort of, you know, mental comfort zone that, that obviously, um, you know, felt like he was maybe starting to get there like a couple of weeks ago. And then, uh, you know, Orlando, he started to shoot with more arc, had some decent results. And then he's shot a flat ball the past like week or two. And then tonight, kind of got back it wasn't really shooting the a super flat ball as, as much as previously um but was just sort of missing all over the place so i don't know i'm exhausted just thinking about Giannis missing more free throws um but it's absolutely a concern because you know I, I was kind of thinking you know down the stretch especially Giannis has always has the ball you can't hide him he's not deandre jordan who's just running around for lobs like why don't you just foul him you know like make him make free throws the way the bucks were scoring but I don't know. We'll see. I, I, if this continues, I have to think some team at some point is going to try that, and I'm concerned it might kind of work. Attention past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. My bookie will give you all of your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. I highly recommend you do not bet money, real money, on Mitch Trubisky, however. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. 
So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll and that's on top of the risk-free bet already mentioned. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, in a, in a close game, no doubt. This is, as you said, this isn't a guy that you can say, all right, well, we're not going to give you the ball. I mean, you just can't do that with Giannis. He is the offense. So, yeah, I mean, it is it's it is kind of just that background concern that's just kind of there. And he has four or five games where you're like, oh, that looks good. And as you mentioned, when we spoke about that arc coming back into the free throw is shot a little bit, you were like, eh, well, you know, we've seen this. I'm not going to fall for this again. And and you were right. And then out of the blue, it just completely disappears again. And now he's... Uh, He's struggling again. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It's a, it's a head-scratcher. I'm not sure, you know, how you can go from shooting this, these beautiful uh, free throws with the arc on it and then just completely disappear. Like, it feels like it's something mental where if you're a coach of the Bucks and you see it all of a sudden go, like, you'd be like, hey, like, come on, like, get that arc back in the free throw. What are you doing? Get your head back in the game. It just doesn't seem to happen. I, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain that. But the passing thing is interesting that you touched on uh, because – I. Look, if Giannis is driving and kicking out to the to the three, like that pass has always been there. And yes, like he's he's, he's great at making uh, those decisions there and making those passes. But that doesn't really change this Bucks offense. Like, yeah, you're going to get open threes, but on nights where the threes aren't falling, we've seen that. Uh, as you mentioned, and not only does it hurt his assist numbers, but the offense just becomes kind of clunky when you're just shooting these threes. The bounce passes and the cutting guys is something that's really noteworthy because when we look at the this offense, and again, um, I know someone said that we can't get through a podcast without mentioning Brogdon, but if you're talking about the offense and, and how the offense is changing and different to last year, if you lose a guy that's great at getting to the basket and, and getting his own uh, bucket off the dribble, uh, that cutting and those sorts of bounce passes that Giannis is making now weren't really a part of his game last year and it wasn't something the Bucks looked for. So if that becomes something that is a real part of the Bucks' offense and Giannis gets better at saying, okay, yeah, I'm getting double or triple teamed here. As you said, he can throw that over the shoulder pass. You can throw a little bounce pass to someone cutting to the basket and you get points that way. Then that's something that, that's, that is really different for, the, for this offense and, and something that uh, you love to see because we, the, this Bucks team, when they bring everyone back and it's largely the same roster, you need growth from, from inside and, and you want to see something different from Bud and, and what they're running. And this is partly... Giannis has just been brilliant, but it's also something that the Bucks are looking to do more often. So, yeah, I think that that's a real positive. And speaking of positives, you, you mentioned Eric Bledsoe, but uh, yesterday against the Hawks or in the Hawks game, he has had 17 points in the fourth quarter to get to 28 points. Tonight, he was aggressive from the outset and he has another 30-point game. And now he is averaging 21.7 points over the last nine games. And... You know, outside of a, a weird sort of start to that game in Atlanta where he seemed to be forcing things a little bit and settling for that, uh, for those outside jump shots, he's back to, he's back to that guy that, that is going to be physical. He knows how to use his body to first draw contact and then finish in the restricted area. Eric Bledsoe is, is, is on a tear at the moment and he's becoming a really, really important player again, particularly with Chris Middleton out. 
Yeah, interesting to look at his numbers. I mean, he obviously had the rough start. We, we you know, we're kind of concerned, but, you know, I think we're, we agreed, hey, let's let's give this a couple of weeks. He was coming off the, the injury that kept him out of most of preseason, and then he really kind of went on that run, had a couple of bobbles here in the last week, and then uh, fourth quarter against Atlanta last night, and then tonight, um, you know, just – just his activity, his using his physicality and quickness, I think is just just so critical um, for this team. Because, I mean, that's that's sort of the irony, right, is that Bledsoe is obviously going to be a point of concern heading into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it's That's just a reality, right? I mean, just what's happened the last couple of years. Um, but when you talk about the offense being diversified so it's not just – not just Giannis driving and not just, you know, guys chucking, you know, 25 foot three pointers. I mean, Bledsoe is essential to that storyline. And you look at his numbers this year, last year, a career high 8.3 points per game in the paint. This year, it's up to 10 points per game in the paint, even though he's down actually 1.8 minutes per game. He's playing 27 rather than 29 minutes per game this year. Um, so he, he is shooting more. His field goal, field goal attempts are up from 12.4 to 14.1, shooting about 1% worse from the field, but he's also getting to the line more. Last year, three free throws attempted per game. This year, 4.1, and he's shooting 80% uh, at the 80% clip. Three-point percentage up to 30% now. That was obviously really down at the start of the year. It's kind of bounced back a bit. His assist turnover numbers, all kind of kind of comparable. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really important, you know, when you think about how do you balance out this offense so it's not just, you know, guys who only shoot threes right and there's a few things you mentioned i think the thing we probably talk least about is okay if you've got guys like Conniston and divincenzo uh how do those guys you know use their off ball cutting use transition to create easy baskets Conniston was really good tonight i mean the blazers the team that pretty much i mean they could have kept him ahead of last season and basically decided you know what uh no we don't need pat Conniston. they go out and sign nick stauskas instead <laughs> and I mean, whoops, <laughs> you know, like Connaughton, uh has obviously been a really uh, great value add, I'd say for the Bucks, especially given, you know, the contract that he's on his activity tonight was really important. He gave up, got them a lot of easy buckets. He was a beneficiary of a number of those Giannis passes. Um, it was really fun to see him out there hurting his old team and DiVincenzo again, maybe not the most efficient night. He blows a dunk. Um, he had a number of other plays where you felt like he probably should have dunked it and just went for a layup because he wasn't quite comfortable uh, finishing. So him getting out in transition, those are easy baskets. Those are paint points. Bledsoe doing what he does, getting paint points. Um, And the one thing we probably didn't see tonight, uh, we did see it uh, in the first quarter. Brooke Lopez threw down a huge dunk for, I think that might've been the first basket of the game for the Bucs. We've seen, seen him obviously go to work against smaller lineups and try to hurt teams in the post. We saw it a little bit against Atlanta as well. Um, didn't really do that tonight so much. I think he hit a couple threes, uh, which was nice to see. But um, that's, again, another important weapon, which really didn't get used much at all last year. Uh, and and even though Brooke actually was one of the bright spots in some of those, uh, you know, in that, that Eastern Conference final series, uh, I think he's a guy that, that is very important to, again, bring some of that diversity. Whenever Giannis is out and you can get Brooke on the floor and, you know, run and pick and roll where he's not just popping, but he's rolling to the rim, uh, I think he's got great hands, great finishing there. And obviously you can always throw it to him in the post, especially when teams try to go small. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's a, a, a good summary of, of, you know, some of the things the Bucks are going to have to do as they try to, you know, maintain some of that offensive diversity. And tonight, I mean, 64 paint points to 38 for the Blazers. Obviously, you know, so often that is uh, the tail of the tape as far as how the Bucks win these games. And 
plus 26 there. Obviously, um, they were uh, minus my, hit one fewer three than than Portland, so about even there. But um, Bucks doing very well from the free throw line. They hit 21 out of 26 versus 12 out of 14 for the Blazers, and then obviously just a big advantage in the paint. So you know, again, it becomes uh, if you can kind of match them from three. Again, you expect the Bucks to kind of win the math game just by virtue of the fact that they're going to get more easy buckets. And um, obviously, if you can just kind of keep that theme up throughout the season and hopefully into the playoffs, you know, again, you feel good about at least the, you know, the 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 math of uh, of what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's you you mentioned the, the the bench guys and obviously Pat there with the 18 points. Pat's so funny to me because he he feels like he goes through a stretch of five or six games where he does nothing and then he just has these random games where he becomes a real factor and it's not something that he consistently does but all of a sudden he'll shoot well from 3 and he was 2 for 3 tonight but the 18 points actually matched his uh bucks high. He had 18 in game two against Detroit last year when, I don't know, they probably won by 7,000 points. I don't know. I can't, I, I can't remember. <laughs> but it's just, you know, I think everyone was everyone was scoring in, in that one. But, yeah, it's a big contribution from him. And, yeah, maybe a little bit of motivation against uh, the team that, as you said, could have had him. But this, this bench group, and, uh, I mean, they played really well tonight. They had 30 points in the first half and really set it up and finished with 45 uh, points altogether. And then you mentioned Dante, who actually had – uh, the the seven for fifteen shooting is actually a, a career high for field goal makes and career high for field goal attempts, which probably isn't that surprising if Divincenzo is getting up fifteen shots. It does seem like a, a an abnormal number for him, but he was good again. And Pat Connaughton, when you talk about guys that cut since very early in the season last year, I was like, this guy is the best cutter on the Bucks team because he's very rarely the guy. I'm a little bit more so this year, but he's very rarely the guy that is initiating anything. Uh, on offense and he cuts well to the basket he finishes generally well he can obviously dunk so yeah Connaughton becomes a an interesting piece if that becomes more of a feature along with Dante but someone we spoke uh, last time we spoke was after the uh the game earlier in the week where Wes Matthews goes zero for zero from the field with in 17 minutes in what we described as the uh the ultimate Tony Snell game and <laughs> He has bounced back a little bit here these last two games. He's shooting the three again. He he seems a little more aggressive in looking for his shot. And I, I don't know. I wonder if that was something where he sort of that that uh it got to the end of that game and he was set and he was told that, come on, man, like you, you need to be getting a shot up if you're if you're playing 17 minutes. But uh he's been uh six for what's he what's he been? Six for six for twelve uh from three over the last two. So look he's back shooting the ball well and as we sort of said and, and as I mentioned uh, or in my opinion, when Chris Middleton comes back, I, I think you keep West in the starting lineup until it gets to the point where the defense is ignoring him from three. But if he keeps shooting like that and, and taking the open looks, they're gonna have no choice but to respect him out there. And then he becomes a, a valuable floor floor spacer for these uh higher usage guys. I'm kind of torn on this. I mean, Dante is outplayed Wes. I don't. I don't think there's there's a lot of debate about that at this point of late. I mean, Dante yeah, had that. I mean, great. Yeah, da, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, Dante obviously had the a couple of games. I think three or four games where he was kind of like had a lull, and then he's played well of late. Um, I'm kind of torn because part of me says kind of what you know exactly what you're saying. We'll just keep Wes in the starting five because it seems like it's hard to be the starting. If you're the if you're the fifth guy, you're just not going to get a lot of shots, right? I mean, Brogdon was impressive in that. He was able to be a pretty high volume guy, even as uh, well, I don't want to call him the fifth starter necessarily, but I mean, you know, on any given night, he's not some, some nights he ends up being kind of the de facto number two option, but with the starting five, I mean, you know, again, like 
very easy for him to fall back into being kind of that that fifth guy. Um, so for Brogdon, the way he scored last year was really impressive. And you know, but if you're West, you don't have a dynamic off the dribble game. You're pretty much just a catch and shoot guy for the most part. Um, and so I think again, like if you're just going to be more or less a decoy, and you know, sometimes you get left open and you hit shots. Um, I think probably that's that's okay with the starting five. Uh, so maybe you do want Dante's energy off the bench. You want him uh, maybe as part of some of those second units where you need more of that playmaking, more of that energy to kind of create offense, uh, which, again, I don't want to see those, like, all bench units. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've seen Bud kind of consistently do that throughout the season. Um, but the flip side is I actually – one thing um, I will say uh, – it's funny seeing Dante with Giannis on the court because um, you can tell, I mean, Dante, uh, after the game today, he spoke, you know, just about how his teammates give him confidence. He's talked how specifically uh, Giannis really gives him a lot of confidence. Um, I think it, it's fun watching the two of them together because obviously Dante is a guy who can get out in transition and, um, you know, he's a pretty, pretty heady playmaker. He's not a point guard, but he's, I think, a, generally a, a good IQ guy, a good passer, very willing passer. Um, and you know, with Giannis, the season, the two of them, um, bucks have been a plus 24 net rating. And again, like it's really early. That's like 300 possessions. Um, but they've been good on both ends of the court so far. Uh, I, I just feel like I like the, the dynamic of the two of them together. So, um, so that would be my kind of best, maybe best argument for kind of playing the two of those guys together. Um, I, I do kind of like that dynamic, even if West maybe is, you know, certainly historically been obviously a, a more consistent, uh, you know, just catch and shoot guy versus Dante who's you know shot well this year, but you know, obviously we, we we're not really exactly sure where he's going to end up this season. So, um, so I don't know. I, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting kind of call it a dilemma for, for Bud when, uh, when Chris gets back, but I mean, that's the exact kind of dilemma you want. I mean, you hope obviously Wes gets more involved that he's hitting those spot up threes um, that he's engaged defensively. And then you hope that Dante continues to show this sort of, you know, energy and kind of open court, you know, defensive pressure and kind of just the playmaking stuff that, that he's been showing. So, um, you know, again, I think Sterling kind of quietly hits another couple threes tonight. Wasn't great, but I think, you know, again, solid at least tonight. Um, and so I think uh, certainly the more, the more competition you have among those guys, obviously um, that's a positive. We didn't see uh, Corver tonight. He got the rest on the second night of the back-to-back. Um, but, you know, overall, I think certainly, um, you know, very positive to see the, those wings um, playing playing well generally and, um, you know, obviously kind of stepping up on a night when you had to score a lot of points because you definitely gave up a bunch too. All right. So I want to throw something, a, a last little point with Wes at you then but before I do I will say that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audio books and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audio book and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA and if you can't get to audible.com right now you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, so I've been thinking about this a fair bit over the last couple of days since we discussed that and and I sort of put it out there on Twitter and and I can and the reason why I think it's such an interesting topic is because I, I, I can certainly understand both 
sides of it. And as you point out, I think that the partnership with Dante and Giannis is starting to develop pretty nicely. And that's like fun to watch. And you talk about guys that are always out there with the ball in their hands looking for Giannis. I mean, that's Dante. Like you can see him as soon as he gets the ball in any type of transition play, he's like, okay, where's Giannis? I want to get him the ball, which is like fun. And that's, that's what you want guys out there doing. My concern with Wes is, you talk about his limitations at this point in his career. Like when I think about this, I've almost got him in the category where I'm not sure you want him out on the floor that much without Giannis because he doesn't really do a lot else. And my concern would be if you take Wes out of the starting lineup, is he even a valuable guy in bench lineups? And I'm not talking all yeah. bench lineups. You've spoke about the fact that we, we, we would both probably prefer not to see the five-man bench lineups. But I'm just concerned if you take Wes out of the starting lineup playing with those four core guys, I'm not sure if there's any value playing him at all. I'm, I'm not sure. That's something I'm concerned about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, to me, Wes is, I mean... I can see the angle for calling him for using him as like the role playing starter. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that would involve, I mean, again, right now tonight, like he plays 30 minutes. There's obviously a lot of minutes for all these wings right now. Cause you're missing, you know, Middleton and, and the 30 plus minutes he plays every night. Uh, when Middleton comes back, obviously there's going to be a crunch. And I think there's a very viable question that is, okay. I mean, you know, first week or so of the season, Sterling Brown and Dante didn't play at all. Right. Um, so something's got to give there. Dante's got to play. I think Sterling has shown he deserves to play. So, you know, if you're keeping, if you're keeping uh, Wes in the starting five, uh, then kind of something else has to give. So, I, I mean, I think that's the challenge is he definitely can't be playing 28, 30 minutes a game because I think he just hasn't shown enough uh, relative to these other guys. Um, so I think it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I think, Bud will probably, I mean, again, Bud's not the kind of guy who's going to go to like an eight or nine man rotation, you know, through, throughout a regular season. Like he's obviously think going to try to keep guys um, playing involved. You know, I think like we're, we're going to see, you know, Corver is, is never going to play in a back to back. I'm sure he'll just get rested some random nights. And I think to be honest, like that makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, I think you gotta, gotta get these young guys involved and, and kind of figure out what you have with them because you know, again, you're, this is all just, I don't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. I mean, it absolutely is important to be, have a great regular, regular season, set yourself up with home court, ideally throughout uh, the playoffs um, and kind of build your character and identity. But uh, you know, in, in these finals, a potential finals matchup, like are, are you going to be playing, able to play Kyle Korver in the way that you'd be able to play a Pat Connaughton or a Sterling Brown or a Dante, right? Um, I think just, given the two-way nature of things, I think it's more likely that you can get away with playing those younger guys. And so again, I, it's a, it's a difficult decision. And I think, I think probably most of us would probably not be as biased towards the vets like Corver and, and Matthews as, as maybe Bud would be, but that's probably typical of, you know, fans versus, uh, you know, the, 50 something year old NBA head coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the trust factor. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting decision, but I think, you know, again, I think there's definitely a possibility here. Um, and, and this is like, you know, a, a very hardcore positive spin job I'm giving you, but um, <laughs> th- there's definitely a silver lining here to the Middleton injury. I mean, given the bucks knock on wood have, have been able to continue winning at a good clip without him. Um, the fact that you've been able to actually give these young guys like consistent minutes and 
kind of get them in the flow, get them in the rhythm, kind of figure out like how these guys actually all fit together a little bit. Um, you know, there's definitely some positives to that. And ultimately you need to get Chris healthy. <laughs> you know, okay. Like, okay. Miss Chris for a few weeks. All right, let's get him back in here. I don't, I don't want to get, get too used to this cause you're not going to win a championship without him. But, uh, but there's definitely some, some real positives to the fact that it's kind of let you, you know, play around give all these guys uh, pretty regular minutes and, um, you know, now the, now the hard part will be figuring out like among these guys, you know, who, who actually push comes to shove is, is going to be part of, you know, the rotation when it matters. Oh, I, t- I totally agree with that. And it, it's interesting. I, I just, as you were talking there, I was, I was curious because when you talk about Matthew's minutes and, and all these Middleton minutes that have been uh, soaked up and you look tonight, I mean, DiVincenzo plays 27 minutes. I mean, he's become, you know, obviously as a starter, but, but him and Sterling Brown have really, uh, got a lot of run and and I do think that that's a, a positive but with Matthews the, the last five games since Middleton's been out he's played 24.3 minutes and I was I was thinking maybe that's that's bumped up a little but he's actually dead on 24.3 for the season so yeah the minutes have obviously been picked up by the other guys and you know I, I think that's a number that probably as the season goes on drops even further uh, for Matthews I mean if I, if I had to guess uh, I'm not sure you know, as you said, once Middleton comes back and the emergence of the other guys and the fact that they just do different things that West probably can't do at this point, I think becomes more valuable. But it's it's interesting, you know, you re- I read that story in, in the ringer um, overnight or, or yesterday uh, about, you know, Brogdon and the fact that maybe uh, the, the Bucks should look at a guy like Bogdanovich in, in Sacramento, who I think is a fantastic player and he's 27. He's actually a lot older than you think. He came to the league a little later. Um, but I don't know. I, I just think it's hard to tell right now what this Bucks team really needs, and that's why I think it's super important that Brown and DiVincenzo are playing big minutes because leading up to the trade deadline and then buyout season and whatever, the Bucks actually sort of put themselves... And again, I'm not sure if they... Um, you know, this was part of the design. I'm sure it was It was one of, one of the ideas they had, but you get a little bit of draft capital in the Brogdon sign and trade, there's a couple of guys that are probably movable. I mean, you know, I don't know how much value Ersan seven million, uh, which is essentially a, an expiring uh, contract, has. I'm not sure whether the you know Sterling Brown or Divincenzo end up being a guy that uh, have value around the league and you can move them as a trade chip. I'm not too sure, but uh, I think that it's really important that these two guys play a lot in the lead up to that time, so you get some sort of idea of what you have because. Now, uh, and this is something I, I commented on uh, also, was that if I'm looking at this team, I, I'm kind of okay with the with the guard wing rotation. And yeah, you, you're not 100% sure what this means comes playoff time because you don't have the exposed uh, form. But if I'm looking at Ersan, Robin Lopez, Robin Lopez and, and DJ Wilson, maybe there's some spot there for a guy to, to come in in the four or five spot in you know, somewhat a similar move to the Miritich uh, trade last year because, I don't know, it's kind of looking a little bit shaky. And obviously, Brook Lopez and Giannis are guys that soak up a, a whole heap of minutes there and the Bucks have gone small at times. But, I don't know, I wouldn't say I'm 100% convinced with, with that uh, backup rotation in the, in the front court. Yeah, I mean, I'd go the op- I'd still go the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, Wilson, like, you know, plays last night really just sort of, I mean, it, you know, on a back-to-back, it seemed like, okay, let's see if, DJ can start to get in a little bit here with, yeah. with you know, there's no point in play. I mean, look, Ursan's been struggling for, for a while now. I mean, I think DJ deserves a look here given what we've seen from him, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, to again, just like kind of what we're saying about Sterling and Dante, like figure out what you got with this guy. I mean, you know, this is third the season. Case. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, because if you do have to make a deal at the deadline, I mean, Ursan's contract makes him an obvious contender to, to, to be put in the trade like that. So, um, you know, like I, I would be comfortable with DJ as, as the backup for, especially because we've seen Bud going to these small lineups with Giannis at the center and Sterling or other guys playing the four. And, and I think they've generally, I was looking at the numbers the other day, I mean, again, still very small sample. I think they've generally worked out very well. Um, and so I, I think I'm, I'm comfortable with that just because, you know, again, I mean, obviously if Giannis gets hurt, like you're screwed anyway. Um, <laughs> but with, with, with Brooke, with Giannis, uh, and then, you know, the fact that you can play a, a wing up in a small lineup, which, you know, typically the Bucks haven't had to do because Brooks stretches the floor and, you know, we know what he can bring defensively. Um, but I, I still, I mean, my concern is still that, that the Bucks have a, a quantity but not quality uh, situation yeah. on the wing. And so, you know, again, like you, you can't play – you know, you can't play Pat, uh, Dante, Sterling, Wes, Corver. Like, you can't play all these guys. Uh, and none of them are, you know, at this point, I think, you know, clear starting caliber players. I hope Dante can eventually get there. I could see Sterling being a, you know, kind of role-playing starter type guy. Um, but again, like being like an above-average starter, I don't really see one of those guys kind of fitting in that category. And I think most importantly... You know, with Brogdon, he was like kind of Bledsoe insurance to a large extent, right? Mm -hmm. Like if Bledsoe completely like vaporizes, um, you know, you had Brogdon and Hill who can be, you know, essentially primary ball handlers. And the problem is none of these other guys that we're talking about can really play that role. I mean, they're twos and threes. You know, maybe Dante with Giannis out there can kind of be a fake point guard or something like that. Um, but I think that's where like the idea of like a Bogdanovich is interesting because – really we're talking about insurance in the event that like Bledsoe goes into a shell and you need a guy who can basically run an offense and hit shots. And right now, you know, I don't see there's anybody, if Bledsoe is not playing at a high level, like I don't think you can get enough George Hill on the court to, to gloss over that. And I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, Brogdon missed the, the Bucks first eight playoff games last year and the Bucks were seven and one in those games because they had, you know, the depth of having both Hill and Bledsoe and you had these other guys playing. I mean, Connaughton was really good. Um, so I think that's the risk is not so much like, you know, when Bledsoe and, and Hill are both healthy and playing well and you got, you know, these other guys sort of f filling in and, and playing at a high level. I think the risk is like when push comes to shove, you know, do you have guys you can just give the ball to and create shots? And, and again, I think so much of, you know, the Bucks kind of whether you really believe in the Bucks as it can, well, I think most people believe the Bucks are contenders, but whether you really believe the Bucks, you know, are better than, for instance, Philly or now Boston or whoever in the East, whether you think they can actually take down a, a, one of the L, you know, one or both the LA teams, kind of comes down to the Bledsoe referendum, right? Like, can Giannis maintain his super high level of play uh, at you know the highest level, and then you know, is Bledsoe can Bledsoe be decent enough, right? Can he be not what he was uh, in the East Finals last year? So. Um, anyway, we'll have obviously lots of time to kind of figure out exactly where, where, how this evolves and all that. I mean, there's still a few months before the trade deadline, but, um, I think it's definitely something the Bucks, I mean, we talked about before the season, you know, 
they don't have a third point guard really on the on the yeah. non two way <laughs> roster, right? Uh, and so I think that's definitely something I, I'm just going to keep an eye on because uh, again, I think in the regular season it's fine, and what we're seeing them just they can just churn out wins uh, on the backs of Giannis playmaking and Bledsoe playing at a high level, even when Chris is out. Um, but I just, I, I just do worry that, you know, again, um, if you want to give yourself absolutely the best chance of winning a title, I think, you know, again, that kind of shot making ability, uh, you know, what happens if, if those jump shooters, you know, don't, don't have a good series, like we saw in these finals last year, what if Giannis is kind of bottled up a little bit and then obviously you may need another guy to, to step up. Yeah, that's and then, and listen, that's that's why I think that uh, you know both sides of the argument. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I can buy that. And and you know, in particular with with a guy like Bogdanovich, it's interesting because, as you said, there's a lot of time to talk about this, but it's interesting just looking at his numbers. And and the Kings are actually playing pretty good ball right now, even with the Aaron Fox obviously being out and everyone expected them to to tumble. And Bogdanovich is a guy that's all of a sudden playing major minutes with the Kings. And the one thing that when you look at his game logs, the thing that uh, stands out to you is the assist numbers over his last four games. He's had 10 assists, five assists, 10 assists, and then seven. And he's actually taking uh, a real playmaking role with the Kings and doing a very good job of it. So he's, he, you know that he's a guy that can, uh, that has a, has a really nice uh, looking jump shot, but he's also now flashing a little bit of playmaking. He's an interesting guy, but yeah, I, I just think that this is something that, you know, any way you look at it, the Bucks are going to be good enough to win, yeah, you know, fifty-five plus games in the regular season anyway. So this is, as you said, something that is going to take shape over the next sort of two, three months leading up to the trade deadline, rather than something that needs to happen right now because it's just not, it's not critical. I, I think it, now it's critical finding out what you have with Sterling and Dante, and and as you mentioned, even DJ. But it's kind of crazy to me to, to think about these types of things anyway, because I find myself when I'm thinking about this and, and a lot of the people that you know, I interact with in Twitter or whatever, Bucks fans is, are in the same position and they're all like throwing you scenarios like, well, what do you do against the Lakers or the Clippers? And it's just funny to think about that. We're analyzing this roster now, not from a team that is, is just a very good team. We're like, how are they going to match up with the Clippers or Lakers in the NBA finals? And it's just like, it's just again, like it's kind of a crazy thing with the Bucks that you're now analyzing this roster as a team that can they win the NBA finals? Not just like, are they going to win a, a series in the playoffs? And it's, I don't know, it's kind of wild. But the, the Bucks are now 12 and 3. And I don't need to lie to anyone about them only being a half game back. From the from the top of the A's, they're on top. They're they're clear on top, Frank. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's funny. I mean, worrying about you know like ah, oh, oh, the Clippers. You know they got those two awesome wing. <laughs> I mean it's it's kind of first world problems, you know. But yeah. this, I mean, again, like the point is to win a championship, right? And um, that's that's why you know again, I mean, for better or worse, this is why the Brogdon stuff is going to be following the Bucks all season because no matter how game many games they win uh you know until they win a championship uh guys like Bledsoe guys like Giannis like you know we're we're going to be asking the questions that we have about them and uh you know the Brogdon decision is going to be asked of you know ownership in the front office and you know again when you want to compete at the highest level it's fair like that's 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 part of the deal uh and again I think uh there's still some things that could happen, you know, with that first round pick that's there. Um, but I'll say too, I mean, you know, Bogdanovich specifically, I mean, I talked about him before the season. I think Sacramento's in a weird spot because um, 
you know, if they are like good enough to delude themselves into thinking they can make a run at like the eight seed, which I mean, we'll see where they are. The West obviously is so stacked. Um, but like, I, I don't know, like it, that's the thing. Like, even though he seemingly doesn't really have like a long-term like slot there at a really big salary number, just because of the other guys they've already signed. Um, like, do you really think that like Vladi and and that group are going to like sell off a guy for like you know a first round pick and you know maybe a young player uh, because they want to give up on the season? Like these guys seem like the types they're gonna just like go for broke. They're they're gonna like lose him in you know free agency in the summer because that's just like what teams like the Kings just seem to do. So again, I think. It's hard. I think it's going to be hard to add like a real impact player if you're the Bucks. I think, um, and but again, not to dissuade people from from trying to think about what what those moves might be because I think there is definitely some potential consolidation moves just given the number of guys the Bucks have that that you know are pretty solid that may be interesting, um, but you just can't play all of them. And so certainly looking at ways, you know, especially with that Pacer first round pick hanging out there, um, I think it's a, a worthwhile exercise. But I think it's also you know you got to be wary of falling in the trap of assuming that, you know, other teams want, you know, the Bucks random ninth and 10th bed too. Yeah. And it's, it's an important thing you bring up with Bogdanovich, the fact that he is heading for uh, free agency or restricted free agency this summer. And, you know, if you're the Bucks and you talk about the, the draft pick, obviously the first round from the paces they've got and potentially, you know, attaching one of these young guys that are, interesting and we don't really have an answer for yet are you going to give all that up for Bogdanovich a guy that you know possibly you're not going to be able to pay anyway and or you won't be willing to pay and and I understand why the storylines are going to come through that this is the year for the Bucks and Giannis but that that's an interesting wrinkle to add to the Bogdanovich one but uh the Bucks now get a day off and as we mentioned a few times they're home for a while and they get to play what is uh I don't know it's like it's like the the, the Bucks B squad on, on Saturday night, uh, the Pistons. They, they get to meet up with a bunch of old friends. And you know what? You know what's interesting? I, I wanted to throw this one at you. I know uh, the Woodlands was a, was a big talking point last year, but you know I'm starting to get a few tweets. I think Dragon Bender might be the 2019-20 Christian Wood. He's just going to put up 25 and 10 with the herd and not play with the Bucks. Yeah, I was. It was funny. Is he's he's had some nice games for the herd. He's he's not as like prolific a scorer as as Wood yeah. was in the G League, um, but he's a guy that uh, you know. Yeah, he does seem destined to be the young big man who puts up numbers in the G League and uh, you know sort of whets the appetite of uh, you know people like me, I guess, uh, who, who are always <laughs> looking for that kind of next next best thing. But um, but yeah, I think Bender's an interesting guy. I mean, I think this is why it's it's good that the Bucks got uh, that second year on on Bender's contract, just because he's obviously cheap this year. Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, given the lack of full guarantee on on his deal and the fact that he could always be a throw-in in a trade, yeah. uh, we'll see if he makes it to you know to the summer with the Bucks. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think he's still given his age. Uh, you hope, I think, you know, I hope you think he had some potential upside just in terms of getting in better shape, maybe physically getting into a better place from what we saw in the preseason. But the skill set is obviously there. Uh, you know, I think he definitely does stuff that uh, you could see working, you know, in the Bucks system, especially offensively. I think defensively you have more concerns, you know, whether he can, you know, defend the paint and, and not foul. Uh, like, a, definitely, I definitely don't think he can do it like a Lopez brother, but, um, you know, whether he can do it consistently enough given, uh, you know, just sort of, I guess, uh, 
let you get his offensive skill set on the floor because I think that's obviously the the intriguing thing with with Bender. But but yeah, he does seem to be filling the uh, the 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 Christian Wood role this year. So I don't know. Let me let me think. I haven't thought of a uh, you know geographic yeah, exactly. location yeah. for uh, for this. I mean, he is Croatian, but uh, that's not that's not a fun thing. We need to think of a a more creative name. You know, we obviously the I, is Waiters Island the original like uh, you know the original version of that. I feel like Waiters Island was, was the thing that you heard the most about for, for some time, but uh, we had the Toledovich archipelago uh, rest <laughs> in peace. Uh, we had the uh, now the Christian woodlands um, and the one it's a shame that Ish Smith has never found his way back to the box because uh, the Ish Smith Ismiths is definitely the, uh, the one I would love to, to be able to break out the Ish, the Ishmus. Maybe something like that, um, but I need to think of uh, a good a good one for Dragon Bender because certainly the better he plays, the better he plays in in Wisconsin for the for the herd. And obviously, like you know, if 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 Robin Lopez and Arsenal Silva continue to kind of scuffle along a bit, um, I, maybe we'll hear a little bit more calls for for Bender. Although I think T.J. Wilson will probably be the the guy who's getting more more of those calls. But uh, I'll I'll put on my my thinking cap on that. Yeah, I, I think you. I think you're on the money, though. I think we're going to see uh, Bender dragging the herd to a few more victories before he uh, before he gets a chance. <laughs> That's why you brought this up to to yes. break out that. Pun, yeah, there was right? a long setup. It was a five minute yeah. setup for that for that one pun. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's interesting though. The Pistons, as I, as I mentioned, they got a bunch of guys, and it's just funny looking at the the Thonmaker Christian Wood numbers right now. They're both playing. I mean, Thon's playing 13 minutes a night. Christian Wood's putting uh, playing 15 minutes a night. And Wood is just destroying Thon in in all statistical categories at the moment. It's uh, you know Thon's, and I love Thon, love Thon the person, but uh, his uh, desire for more minutes and more opportunity is not working out on a Pistons team that are four and ten and not looking good. What's what's your so? I mean, I assume obviously you've continued to follow Thon because of the whole Australian angle, and obviously you got to know him a little bit last year. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad word about Thon, the person. Um, but I don't, I mean, what's your, not that you're watching a lot of Pistons game necessarily right now, but um, what's your kind of your read on this? I mean, he's played in all 14 games this year, but he's only playing 13 minutes a game. Uh, Woods played in 12 games. He's averaged 15 minutes per game. Uh, definitely, I mean, just obviously he's a much more skilled offensive player. Uh, you know, defensively, I'll, I'll take Thon, but uh, I don't know. I mean, what's what's sort of your? Where do you think? What do you, what do you think happens with Thon Baker? Right. I mean, you know, he's obviously at that point where you know you kind of wonder like, what is, what does a second contract look like for Thon? Right. I mean, I I don't I don't know what the answer is for that. Um, I don't think he'll necessarily wash out of the league in the next year or two. But um, he's definitely at like a pretty critical inflection point as far as you know proving to people that he has a role and a kind of obvious like skill set at the NBA level. Yeah, no question. I mean, I I don't think he's looking at a a dragon bender deal, right? Like he's going to get a, a, you know, maybe a a two year, you know, second year non-guaranteed type thing because he just hasn't proven anything. And this was what, and I wanted him to do well, you know, as you said, he's he's a nice person and you try not to, um, you know, take that into account, but I just, I mean, for him to go from from that Bucks team, and clearly whatever happened happened. But you look at this Pistons team now, and you said that you would prefer Thon defensively, and I, I would agree with that over Christian Wood. But the Pistons right now are ranked twenty fourth in defense, and Thon has always, to me, been a guy that like he needs a really set 
uh, objective defensively and he needs to like a scheme. Like he needs organization. And the Pistons just aren't that. Aren't that. And if Thon was struggling to succeed in a Bucks team that was ranked number one defensively in the league, I just thought it was always going to be a disaster for him going to a bad team. And I think I think we're seeing that. Like I never felt that Thon was the type of guy that, yeah, go to a bad team and, and get minutes, you're going to put up numbers. Like he's just not that guy. Like he, he's still too... And I, I don't know how long you can use the word raw, but he's just got he's just got too much he needs to improve. Yeah, I mean, and this is you know, I mean the whole the, his his whole story with the you know how old is he really and all that stuff. Like one of the more bizarre, like I mean, I I think many Bucks fans have sort of dug into that backstory and tried to figure out like what the hell really was going on with that. Um, but. I mean, whatever the case is, I mean, you just look at his what we saw from him as as a rookie, the promise he showed back then, and he just, I mean, has not gotten better. You know, I mean, he just has not developed. Obviously, you know, physically, he hasn't, you know, put on like a pronounced amount of of strength or weight. I mean, I think he's gotten. I mean, anecdotally, it feels like he's gotten a little bit stronger, but um, you know, he looks pretty much like the same guy, and just. Uh, just hasn't been able to consistently kind of improve just, you know, the touch finishing around the basket just has never gotten there. Um, which again is interesting because I think so many people just thought of him as this like high upside guy. And obviously that, that really has just never materialized. He's never really shown, um, kind of shown any of that. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting to say, but you know, it's funny that those guys are both on, you know, a team that, you know, Andre Drummond putting up huge numbers, uh, especially with Blake Griffin having missed uh, a good chunk of uh, the early part of the season. Uh, you know, Drummond has been, uh, he's such an interesting guy. I mean, he was, man, in that playoff series last year, I mean, Brooke Lopez just could not have cared less about Andre Drummond yeah. with the ball anywhere outside of like three feet. Like, I mean, it, it was, it was pretty embarrassing almost to see just like how little the Bucks respected him when, when he had the ball. Um, and, uh, you know, the numbers are huge this year, but, Drummond's just one of those guys. He's never really been a, an impact defender, even though he, he looks like he would be one. Like, he seems like he should be a good defender, but just has never really materialized into that. And, um, you know, with Griffin having the the knee injuries, which, I mean, that kept him out of part of the playoff series last year. And they were playing, well, I can't get any worse card when he came back. And uh, I don't know. I I mean, I think you've, we've, we've heard plenty of second guessing that, I mean, should he have been running around last spring um, in a sweep of, of a playoff series when, uh, you know, that knee is still causing him problems? So uh, he had such a nice season last year that, you know, it, it stinks to see him uh, a bit hobbled now to start this year after, you know, full summer off. But, um, you know, so far, three games, 18.6 rebounds, 4.3 assists. Uh, you know, it just hasn't shot the ball the way that you expect Blake to shoot it. And so, you just hope that, you know, he's not kind of one of these guys that, that has, um, I don't want to say fallen off a cliff, but just, you know, some of these guys, like we just see them physically just break down and at some point it just it just kind of just isn't there anymore, right? And so or early for him uh, this season so far, hopefully he's rounding into shape physically because I think uh, the Eastern Conference doesn't need more players, uh, more, you know, high-level high, high level players getting hurt and uh, getting knocked out uh, from a talent perspective. But um, I guess we'll see. We'll see for ourselves. Hopefully, Blake can go uh, here on on Saturday when they're when they play the box. 
Yeah, well, that's an interesting point you just bring up. The fact that, uh, I mean, we keep talking about the, the Bucs uh, coming up against these, these guys that don't play, but that is a back-to-back for the Pistons. They play the Hawks uh, today and then we'll, we'll go and, and, to, uh, and play the Bucs the day after. So I'm just looking at the injury report and uh, Blake Griffin is, is not on the latest injury report. That, of course, doesn't mean he's going to play against Atlanta, but uh, he hasn't played in a back-to-back uh, this season so far he sat out the second game so something to watch maybe Blake Griffin uh sits out that game uh, against the Bucks on on Saturday night so we'll have to wait and see with that one but uh but yeah. but has I think I think I can only assume Mike Budenholzer has like a a, a voodoo doll that, you know, <laughs> man he's incredible he's using to make sure that that opponent's best players uh just happen in this uh games against the Bucks uh also a note I'm looking at that that NBA official injury report Tony Snell listed as out due to a hip strain. So our our old friend Tony, um, uh, I don't know, it looks like he will at a minimum be a doubt to uh, to make a return to Milwaukee on Saturday. But um, obviously he's another guy. And as far as you know, the uh, uh, Grand Rapids Bucks or whatever we want to call the Pistons <laughs> now, um, he uh, he's he's having a Tony Snell like season, forty five percent shooting from three percent from three. But just nine point two points because obviously Tony just doesn't get up many shots. He's he's perfect from the free throw line this season. I think he's made five out of five. <laughs> so uh, so we'll see. But uh, but yeah, obviously, just you know, you mentioned the schedule. Uh, they've got Utah, I believe, on Monday. Uh, but other than that, a lot of uh, you know a lot of variable, winnable games, a lot of home games here coming up in the schedule. So uh, yeah, this obviously is a chance to. Um, you know, kind of roll up some wins. And again, not always, not has not always been very pretty. It feels like we have not gotten many sort of comprehensive Bucks performances so far this year. Um, but, you know, when you just keep cranking out wins and you're second in the league in net rating, um, you know, just sort of shows what, what your floor and ceiling are as a team. Obviously this team has got a, a, a lot of, I think a lot of still has some upside to, to tap into just, you know, as far as being able to fire on all cylinders, but even when they don't, obviously, they can, uh, they're going to tend to win by night and night out. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I mean, there's a lot of talk now that, oh, wow, well, we're not re- from national people like, wow, well, we're not really talking about the Bucks, And it's it's kind of funny. I mean, they're just out there winning. And they've won 10 out of 11 now. And, and as I mentioned, the loss was on a buzzer beater. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're just winning. And as you said, it's not always convincing. But uh, this is a sign of a good team. And now they get to stay at home for a little bit and recuperate a little bit after a tough start on the road. But... Uh, we made it to the weekend, Frank. Uh, I, you know, another successful week for the Bucks, and it was a quiet week. Only two games the week before, but they had four games this week and win all four of them. I hope, uh, hope you have a good weekend, my friend. Likewise, hopefully we'll have, uh, you know, the the strike streak can continue when we catch back up later this weekend, heading into Monday's game against Utah. Yeah, we will be back. We'll wrap up the Pistons game, and, and I guess we'll be uh, previewing that that Jazz game for Monday morning. I'm going to go. I told Frank I was on full spoiler alert uh, today for the for the Bucks game. The Texans were playing, and I know probably a lot of people are going to ask why the hell I'm a Texans fan now, but that was kind of just random, and I, I really liked Andre Johnson and J.J. Watt. So that's, that's the story. I don't have anything more to add to my Texans fandom, but by the time everyone is listening to this, they'll probably, uh, well, they will know, whether I'm going to be sort of sad or happy about that game. The Texans really need to win. It's like season over if, if they don't win. So 
Frank also already knows, but I, I warned him before we started recording for uh, no no spoilers with this one. So to this point, he's, he's done a good job. But uh, we will leave it there for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll catch you guys on Monday. <laughs>